Hey everyone, welcome back to the Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Dr. Dustin Crumbit. We're going to be talking about the argument from psychophysical harmony for the existence of God. So Dustin, what's up, man? How you doing? All right. All right. <laughs> good, good. I'm excited for today. I've been trying to get my mind around what's going on here, and I'm still like pretty confused. Um, so I'm pretty <coughs> excited to like break it down and hopefully explain some things. And yeah, so do you want to start off just talking yeah. about like introducing you and yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For some people, the argument clicks right away. And for other people, um, you know, it takes a lot longer and I'm not sure quite why. But um, I, yeah, there, there are lots of people who have difficulty understanding the argument. Though. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm a, a philosopher. Um, I got my Ph.D. from Notre Dame a couple years ago. Um, then I... Uh, was at the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich for two years as a postdoc. Uh, now I live in Washington um, and uh, I teach at uh, the University of Washington Tacoma and at uh, Seattle Pacific University. So, mm -hmm. Well, awesome. So to get things started, Dustin, let's just talk about like what got you developing like this is kind of like a fresh argument for god's existence like what kind of led to like the development of this argument before we get into the specifics of it oh well so i initially um i initially invented it when i was um an undergraduate actually uh i think it was my junior year or so um so i uh had read this book called um Physicalism or something near enough, uh, and uh, by uh, Yagong Kim, and uh, <clears throat> he basically holds a view according to which um, there there had to be uh, qualia, like experiential states. Like given the physical, there had to be qualia, uh, but like they could convert it. He thinks there's no reason say that, you know, the feeling of red that we have had to be, uh, had to occur when we see, you know, the physical color red, as opposed to the experience of green occurring at that time, for instance, right? So he thinks our, our experiences could have been switched around and he's an epiphenomenalist. He thinks that our, that our experiences are non-physical and they can't affect anything in the physical world. And so he thinks if they'd been switched around, that wouldn't have changed anything, right? And um, so I had read this book and I thought, well, wait a minute, on this view, it seems very weird that uh, things are not like switched around in ways that make them no longer make sense. It seems very lucky to us say that pleasure and pain are not inverted because on his view, it could have been that uh, you feel pain in all the circumstances where you currently feel pleasure and you feel pleasure in all the circumstances that where you currently feel pain and it wouldn't have made any difference to anything uh you would behave in exactly the same way because these things are not having any um causal impact on uh on your behavior or on the physical world in any way and i'll say more about that in a minute um but so i started thinking about that i thought that's odd that's really odd aren't we very lucky that um on his view that uh uh we uh, have our experiences occur in ways that like make sense that are apt. 
Um, and then I thought, oh, maybe that's an argument for theism. Um, and I talked to some of my professors about it and I got different responses. And then uh, in graduate school, I wrote a paper about this and I got a B and I thought, oh, maybe it's just a bad argument. Um, a, a B in graduate school is not very good. Uh, and uh, I, maybe it was a B plus, I think it was a B plus. But um, so I just kind of set it aside and then um, maybe, uh, I don't know, two years ago, a year ago, um, I was preparing for this debate I did with Ben Watkins on capturing Christianity about souls. And I happened to come across this paper talking about psychophysical luck. And psychophysical luck is exactly this thing that I had been wondering about. Um, it's what we call psychophysical harmony. Uh, this, um, this fact that our experiences and our, uh, physical states, our behavior, et cetera, are like correlated in ways that make sense. Um, and I learned that actually there were a lot of philosophers of mind who were also puzzled by this phenomenon now. It's something that's gained more attention in recent years. Uh, and then I thought, oh, well, maybe there's something to this argument that I invented a long time ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I wrote to Brian Cutter, who I knew from Notre Dame, who does philosophy of mind. I wrote to him about it. And he was like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Then he was like, and in fact, I think he had had some of the same thoughts he had kind of independently invented this argument um mm -hmm. uh in the intervening years and then he thought he said uh well, why don't we co-author a paper so we co-authored a paper and now that's coming out in um oxford studies and philosophy of religion so that that was a longer explanation than i had planned on giving but that's sort of the full you know it's it's a many year saga uh, mm -hmm. uh coming up with this argument so yeah, well, I think that's super helpful. So thanks for that, Dustin. So what is this, like when we're talking about psychophysical harmony, what exactly, like what is this phenomena um, that you're trying to talk about when we're exploring this? Mm -hmm. So psychophysical harmony, or like I say, some some philosophers of mine call it psychophysical luck, uh, is you think about <clears throat> our mental states and particularly our conscious experiences, you know, our, our feelings of pleasure or pain or redness or, you know, there being something in your visual field or whatever. Um, those are correlated with our physical states and with our behavior in ways that are apt, that are rationally appropriate, that make sense, that are intelligible, whatever. So for instance, um, uh, if something feels really bad, that gives you a reason to not do it again. And sure enough, if something feels really bad, you'll be disposed to not do it again. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and so, uh, your, uh, the feeling, the bad feeling is correlated with, uh, a state that, um, makes the bad feeling appropriate. Right. Or, so that's, um, uh, I think we call it hedonic harmony or axiological harmony. Uh, some of our, our states give us practical reasons to pursue or avoid them, and sure enough, we're disposed to do so. Um, uh, there's also uh, what we call semantic harmony. So uh, we make reports about our conscious experiences that make sense. So if I hold this up, then there is a black uh, rectangular object in my visual field. Uh, like I have an experience as of a black rectangular object. 
And sure enough, I'm disposed to say things like I'm having an experience as of a black rectangular object, right? So my verbal reports, my beliefs uh, understood in like a functional way, whatever, um, those match up with my, uh, my, um, uh, my conscious experiences. There's also a third kind um, that's a little more controversial, but some people believe in what's called cognitive phenomenology. They think there's something it's like to have a belief or something it's like to have a desire. Uh, so there are conscious experience, there's some conscious experience of desiring coffee or whatever. Um, <clears throat> there's some conscious experience of believing that I can make coffee with the cure. Uh, and if uh, you believe in that, if you believe in cognitive phenomenology, <clears throat> then there's also this further kind of harmony, which is you have beliefs and desires, and you, you, know, you have the, the experiences that uh, constitute beliefs and desires. And then those match up with your behavior in ways that make sense. So if I believe that I can make coffee by going to the Keurig, and what I want most right now is to get coffee, then uh, sure enough, you know, I, I'm probably going to go to the Keurig and make coffee, right? So my behavior going to the Keurig and making coffee matches up with my conscious uh, states of believing that I can do it by going to the Keurig and wanting, wanting to make coffee. So there are three, three different ways in which uh, there are sort of apt, uh, apt matches between our conscious states and our physical states. Now, so far, I haven't explained why that should be puzzling uh, to people, but that's just what the phenomenon is. The fact that, so, I mean, it's very straightforward, really. Just the fact that your conscious experiences match up with your behavior and your verbal reports and so forth in ways that make sense. Did, did, that, mm -hmm. did that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. So the idea of like psychophysical harmony is that we have this idea where like our co cognitive, like our experiences of the world match up with like, um, the way it almost like it should be like you talked about like um we feel pain like we want to put our hand on our stove um which is something that is good because it's harmful for us and it's good that like our like faculties are arrived like in that way whereas like if we got pleasure from putting our hand on the stove um that wouldn't be good for us and that'd be, that'd be very de detrimental to us so that's it right yeah uh, well yeah uh, yeah it's it, the idea is that it uh yeah you have reasons to not uh, that are given by your conscious states to not put your hand on the stove. So you have reasons to avoid pain and you have reasons to uh, pursue pleasure within, you know, moral bounds and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And sure enough, that's, that's what you're inclined to do uh, again within other bounds. Um, so, um, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the painfulness that comes from putting your hand on the stove, gives you a reason not to do it because pain is bad. Uh, unnecessary suffering is bad. Um, and then sure enough, you're inclined to not do uh, painful things. Um, so it's not just that your, it's not just that your behavior, um, it, it, it's not just that you behave in ways to, that avoid physical damage, say, because it's mm -hmm. easy to give an evolutionary explanation of why you're inclined to behave in ways that avoid physical damage. Um, it's that, <clears throat> Uh, you're inclined to behave in ways uh, that are rationally appropriate in light of your conscious states. Um, hmm. So, yeah. Um, th does that make sense? 
yeah so it's not just like the feelings but like those feelings like give rise to like um you giving like having inclinations to do or not do certain things that like are like proper that for us sense. like they fit within it yeah that, may, that makes sense in light of the feelings mm-hmm. okay so that's good so what what about psychophysical harmony makes it strong evidence for theism I don't know if you want to talk about like maybe like why it's surprising on atheism first or like maybe like why yeah. it'd be non-surprising on theism. I don't know where you want to go with this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you might intuitively, you might think, well, wait a minute. Yeah. So like if something feels bad, I don't do it again. Like that's, why is that it's, it's some big problem that needs to be solved? Mm-hmm. Isn't that totally obvious? Um, <clears throat> it's easiest to see why uh it's some big problem to be solved if we assume uh dualism and epiphenomenalism now both of these will be dispensed with later on so you don't really need to believe these but assume for the sake of argument that both of these are true so dualism is the view that uh you have both um physical and mental states and they're not reducible to each other right so your your uh, mental states are not just physical states. There's something over and above your physical states, right? So your your consciousness is this non-physical phenomenon. Um, epiphenomenalism, it's called dualism because there are two different kinds of states, right? Uh, epiphenomenalism says that the physical is causally closed. So uh, what happens in the physical world is determined by the laws of nature. It can't be affected by anything non-physical. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are philosophers like Yagon Kim, like uh, used to be Frank Jackson. Um, David Chalmers thinks this is a plausible view. Uh, there are philosophers who accept these two theses, dualism and epiphenomenalism. So they think that... <clears throat> You have non-physical conscious states, but they think they don't affect anything in the physical world. Okay. Um, Now, if your non-physical conscious states don't affect anything in the physical world, it becomes suddenly very, very hard to explain why your behavior matches up with your non-physical conscious states in appropriate ways. So suppose... Um, that we inverted pleasure and pain. Um, suppose that uh, uh, all the experiences that are currently pleasurable were instead painful, <clears throat> and all the experiences that are currently painful were instead pleasurable. On epiphenomenalism, because your conscious experiences um, do not make any difference to the physical world, you would behave in exactly the same way. So you would pursue really uh, horrendous suffering. Um, and here's my cat. He's just jumped into my lap. Um, uh, and uh, or, you know, suppose that the psychophysical laws said, uh, look, there's only one conscious experience. It's just white noise or it's just like static. You know, it's like snow on a television screen. That's just the only visual experience anybody has. Every, every different brain state is just mapped to producing that experience. Well, because my experiences can't affect the physical world, I would still say uh, there's 
reports a black rectangular object in my visual field, but my verbal reports would no longer have any um, semantic relation. They would no longer accurately reflect what I was experiencing. Or suppose that, uh, you know, instead of uh, wanting coffee phenomenology and believing that the Keurig can make coffee phenomenology, I had just some other totally random set of beliefs uh, and desires. Uh, well, I would still walk over to the coffee and make Keurig because the phenomenology, the feeling, can't make any difference to how I behave. And so on uh, dualism and epiphenomenalism, my conscious experiences are these non-physical things, but they make no difference to the physical world. Um, it looks very, very fortunate that our, uh, our conscious experiences make any kind of sense at all in light of what's happening physically because had they been totally different, had they been absent, had we been philosophical zombies, uh, you know, had there just had we just been feeling like we're in a warm bath all the time and had no other feeling, we would behave in exactly the same way. We would do exactly the same things, uh, say exactly the same things. Um, and so this raises a real problem about why is it actually that our experiences are apt in light of our behavior and, uh, or maybe the other way around, why is our behavior apt in light of our experiences um, rather than just being totally disconnected. Um, and we suggest, well, if you imagine um, all the possible sets of psychophysical laws, imagine all the different ways that you can conceive of uh, you know, the, the mental being related to the physical. You can conceive of things being inverted, switched around, pleasure and pain being inverted. You can conceive of there being no mental states. You can conceive of all the mental states just being white noise. Uh, you can conceive of, you know, just all sorts of just totally jumbled, random, meaningless uh, uh, assemblages of mental states. Um, if you think about all of those, only a very tiny sliver of those are actually going to be harmonious, right? The overwhelming majority are just random nonsense. Um, and further, a, a lot of like the most simple ones are not harmonious, right? Like it would be much simpler for the laws to just produce white noise all the time than to produce this incredibly complicated set of experiences that we actually have. Um, and so it looks like uh, the laws being harmonious um, on their own, like just through random good fortune, is massively, massively unlikely. On the other hand, we say uh, if theism is true, God might have reason to want to produce psychophysical harmony. Um, it's, you know, maybe it constitutes our agency, it allows us to have. Uh, you know, to behave in ways that make sense in the world, allows us to uh, understand our own experience. You know, I mean, it would, it would be, things would be worse if you just had a random jumble of experiences or if you were inclined to just behave in totally irrational ways all the time or whatever. Um, and so uh, if theism is true, then it's not wildly unlikely that psychophysical harmony obtains. And so it's a lot more likely on theism than on uh, atheism. And so via Bayesian reasoning, uh, it's uh, an argument for theism over atheism. 
Now, the next question is, okay, suppose that we don't accept dualism and or epiphenomenalism, can the argument still work? And we say, yes, actually, um, the argument can still go through on a wide range of different views about the mind. But it might be good to pause there, I guess, and ask if, if, that, if that part makes sense so far. Yeah, so what we're trying to get at, like the surprising thing um, on like atheism is the idea that like our mental states um, are so like accurately like correlated with our physical states. So like, um, like I do, like when I do something like harmful, I really do feel like pain um, or when I do something like good, I may feel like pleasure. And the question is, well, like given like, um, like an indifferent view of like the foundation, like it doesn't really matter if my mind, like maybe my mind would just like feel indifferent to everything, or maybe it would like pain and pleasure yeah. invert, or maybe I just have like blob thoughts or something. That's the, the big question here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on, on epiphenomenalism, you would behave in exactly the same way, right? It could be that mm -hmm. you, you just feel warm bathwater in response to everything, but you would still be terrified of, uh, you know, serious physical damage or whatever in, in the sense of behavior. Mm. You would still really yeah. try to avoid it, even though internally you would just be feeling a warm bathwater feeling. So it'd be like I'm physically like maybe I'm trying to like escape the tiger or something, but then yeah, you like, yeah, you're, you're still feeling that indifferent, screaming and running away. You're 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 just feeling some totally neutral feeling, and then we give huh. you you know afterwards you escape and you're like oh thank God I I escaped successfully. Again, you're just feeling some totally neutral. You're feeling the exact same totally neutral feeling you were before because maybe the psychophysical mm -hmm. laws just correlate some totally boring neutral feeling to everything. And mm -hmm. uh, because that wouldn't change anything, how anything happens in physical reality, because on epiphenomenalism, your experiences are not causing anything in physical reality, uh, you would behave in exactly the same way. And so, okay. yeah, the question becomes, if you think about the zillions of ways you could conceive of physical states and mental states being matched up, uh, why is it that things turn out to be basically just right to produce harmony? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. So where do you want to go from here, Dustin? Uh, well, <clears throat> I guess um, one, uh, I mean, one kind of a, an obvious question is, okay, so what if you're not uh, a dualist or what if you're not an epiphenomenalist? Um, maybe you think that um, mental states are non-physical, but they have a causal impact on the world. Or maybe you're a physicalist. You don't think that mental states are non-physical. Um, and uh, basically, we think that the argument can still work in those cases. So mm -hmm. some people are what are called or maybe you're a panpsychist, or maybe you're an idealist, um, and we think the argument can still work in those cases. Um, so maybe you're what's called an interactionist dualist. Um, so you think that mental states are non-physical, but they can cause behavior. They can make, they can affect what happens in the physical world. Uh, and then you might think, well, okay, uh, because your your mental states are causing your behavior. Um, you know, it, then we couldn't just switch things around and have everything stay the same, right? Switching around your mental states would change your behavior. Um, and we say true, um, 
but there's still the question of why your mental states have the causal effects that they do. Um, you can imagine, um, uh, say, uh, pain and pleasure, um, suppose we not only invert when they occur, but we also invert their causal effects. So maybe right now pleasure causes a certain set of neurons to fire that cause you to pursue that behavior. Pain causes a certain set of neurons to fire that cause you to avoid it. Um, suppose it had been the other way around. Suppose we switched around when they occur and we switched around their causal effects. That seems conceivable. Um, then an inversion scenario uh, would lead to the same behavior. Or you could imagine maybe uh, your uh, mental states cause have causal effects in the world, but they just don't make anything happen in terms of your behavior. Maybe they just cause a few atoms to vibrate each time. And so you're having mental states and they have a causal impact, but it's not the right sort of causal impact to affect your behavior in the right way. Um, and so we say uh, in the case of interactionist dualism, um, the, it really it sort of kicks the the fine tuning problem back a step to the question of why do our mental states have the causal effects that they do? Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem like it's essential to pleasure or pain or wanting coffee or whatever conceived of as like a non-physical state. It doesn't seem like it's essential to that, that it has the physical impact that does if it has some physical impact. Um, and so then we can still sensibly ask, why is it that <clears throat> the causal powers of our mental states are attached to them in ways that produce harmonious behavior? Um, or <clears throat> suppose you're um, a panpsychist, say, uh, the the most popular forms of panpsychism will agree actually that these scenarios i've been talking about where <clears throat> you have uh you know inversions or absent qualia or whatever they'll actually agree that those are possible they'll say um yeah uh <sighs> The, what physics tells us about is, is sort of the causal structure of the world, and then consciousness is the, the, intrinsic, uh, the intrinsic nature of the physical. Uh, but you could have different things with different intrinsic natures that have the same causal structure. So um, it's these inversion scenarios, those sorts of things, those are possible, and they think that's a, an advantage of their view because they think intuitively these things are possible. And then you wonder, okay, why is it that we don't have a scenario where uh, our mental states, the intrinsic natures are inverted or changed around somehow while leaving the causal structure in place? Um, or on uh, physicalism, um, well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the argument on physicalism is, is the most difficult. Um, so maybe I should pause again and ask if what I'm saying makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm tracking with you. Um, I think that for the most part, I think it'd be really, help, really helpful to get into physicalism um, because I think that's probably, you know, one of the more like 
it's, the more, it's probably the more difficult view to argue against just because yeah. it's going to say like the brain states cause the mental states. Um, so I'm a little, how would you summarize this last little section that we did? Cause I'm still a little, I think I'm tracking, but I'm a little confused. How would you summarize this before we move into physicalism? Um, well, yeah, it's a little hard to summarize because I mean, the basic thought is, uh, it's not going to matter if we reject dualism. Originally, when I laid out the problem, I said, let's assume that dualism is true and that epiphenomenalism are true. Um, it's, uh, the, the basic thought is we can get rid of either of those assumptions and the argument will still work. So it's helpful to see what the problem is initially, but if we dispense with those, um, the argument still goes through, we say. Um, but then there are a lot of different ways to dispense with those, right? You can be an idealist, you can be a panpsychist, you can be an interactionist dualist, you can be a physicalist. And so we have to, what we do in the paper is we try to look at each of these views individually and we say, okay, adopting this view instead doesn't solve the problem. Um, and so what I've been doing is just throwing out some views and trying to argue that adopting that view wouldn't solve the problem. Adopting panpsychism solve the problem adopting interactionist dualism wouldn't solve the problem mm -hmm. okay yeah i think that's great you're showing like these different views can't solve the problem so what where does physical physicalism, physicalism fall short like why can't it fully explain psychophysical harmony yeah so um physicalism says uh well your your mental states just are physical states right your conscious experiences just are physical states of some sort and I've been talking about, you know, thinking about scenarios where the physical stays the same, but your mental states get switched around somehow, say, uh, you know, we have different psychophysical laws that correlate the mental with the physical in different ways. Uh, and a physicalist will think, wait a minute, that's not, that's not possible because your mental states just are physical states. So you couldn't leave the physical in place, but change around the mental. Um, and uh, to that, we say, all right, um, <clears throat> we can we can distinguish uh, two different um, versions of physicalism. Uh, one is called a priori physicalism. A priori physicalists think that there's actually a sort of like conceptual connection between the physical and the mental. Uh, they think, uh, you know, ideally, like you could tell just by thinking about it, that mental states just are physical states and which ones they are. Uh, you could tell just just by considering the concept of pain, uh, you could see that pain just is, you know, the state that causes you to avoid things or whatever. Um, and that view uh, is just false, we say. And most most physicalists agree that that view is false. Um, it seems perfectly conceivable. You can coherently imagine someone who uh, is physically just like us, but doesn't have pain, even though they get hit or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, all these scenarios I've been discussing where I talk about uh, qualia being absent or being switched around or whatever, those are all conceivable. They're all coherent 
scenarios. Um, and the a priori physicalist has to say, no, those aren't coherent. There's a conceptual connection um, between the physical and the mental. And so uh, because that just seems to be false, we say, all right, a priori physicalism would solve the problem. But like most physicalists, we just say a priori physicalism is false. Most physicalists hold to what's called a posteriori physicalism. So this says, <clears throat> yeah, there's no conceptual connection between the mental and the physical. Nonetheless, uh, as like a, an empirical truth that we've discovered, it turns out that the mental and the physical are the same thing. Uh, just like uh, H2O and water. Um, you couldn't just by thinking about it, figure out that H2O and water are the same thing. Uh, for a long time, people thought that they weren't the same thing and they had to do science to figure out that they were the same thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. But they discovered that H2O and water are the same thing. And in fact, it's necessary that they're the same thing. You couldn't have a world with water in it that wasn't, that didn't have any H2O in it because H2O and water just are the same thing. Uh, even though that is an a posteriori truth, that's something that had to be discovered empirically, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what most physicalists will say. They'll say, when you talk about these scenarios where we conceive of, you know, me behaving the same way, but not having any mental states or whatever, I agree that that is conceivable in the way that uh, water being something besides H2O is conceivable. But just like water being something besides H2O is not really possible, and we know that by observing the world, uh, me being physically just the way that I am and not having any mental states, that is not really possible. And we can see this because we can tell that mental states and physical states are the same thing by, uh, you know, watching what happens when people get hit in the head or whatever. Um, so that's what they think. Now, I don't think that is a convincing view, a convincing physicalist view, but suppose somebody thinks that it is. Um, <clears throat> In that case, now this is the most complicated part. I, I will say our paper is available online and parts of the argument are quite difficult. So people can go and, and look up the paper and read it um, if they if they want like the complete, the complete, mm -hmm. uh, very careful statement. Um, some yeah. parts are hard to just verbally off the top back again, but um, here's what we say. Uh, so, um, the a posteriori physicalist <clears throat> agrees that all the things I've been talking about, these scenarios where our mental states are jumbled around and uh, we don't have harmony, they agree that those are like conceivable. They agree that those are epistemic possibilities. Uh, so they agree that going in, you should think, yeah, even if physicalism is true, that could that could be. Uh, it, it, physicalism doesn't entail that the exact correlations we actually see are, are, are the real identity relations, just physicalism on its own. Um, and so starting out, uh, just thinking about it epistemically, <clears throat> physicalism does not predict harmony. A posteriori physicalism does not predict harmony. Uh, now it turns out that the a posteriori physicalist will say, okay, uh, what I'm really endorsing is this more specific view 
that says um, mental states are physical states and um, they are, uh, you know, the, the uh, actual, uh, the identity relations that we think hold are the ones that hold, right? And in fact, pain is identical to behavior that avoidance behavior or some state that causes avoidance behavior. Or, um, but that is just one version that only got a little bit of the probability space at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a little bit like this. <clears throat> Suppose we're talking about the fine tuning argument. Uh, and I take it that people will be familiar with the fine tuning argument. We're talking about the fine tuning argument and we say, look, there are all these different possible ways the constants could have been. Only a small fraction of them would have produced life. So it's really unlikely uh, on atheism that the universe will be finely tuned. Suppose uh, the atheist says this, well, okay, actually I'm like uh, a necessitarian. I think the universe exists necessarily. Um, and it necessarily has the constants it does. So, oh, that solves the problem because the constants couldn't have been any other way. It doesn't really seem like that solves the problem because you can say, look, um, necessitarianism doesn't predict fine tuning actually because you can imagine the constants necessarily being any of the different ways that we've been talking mm -hmm. about um what what predicts um fine tuning is only this very specific version of the necessity hypothesis right the constants are necessary and they're these con and they're life permitting constants but the the odds of that hypothesis being true just on necessitarianism being true are very very low um, so saying that the constants are necessary actually doesn't really help because even though you say, yeah, okay, it couldn't have really been different. Epistemically, it could have been different. You still have all the same epistemic possibilities. And so necessitarianism doesn't predict in Bayesian terms, doesn't predict fine tuning. Um, whereas maybe theism does. And we say the same sort of thing about physicalism. Um, the a posteriori physicalist is a bit like the person who says that the constants are necessary because the a posteriori physicalist says, all right, look, I grant that like going in just conceptually, there's no reason to expect uh, psychophysical harmony because I grant that all of these scenarios you're talking about are coherent. They're all things we can coherently conceive of. Um, and they're all things that could be true as far as we know going in before we look at how things actually are. Um, what predicts uh, psychophysical harmony is a very specific version of uh, the a posteriori physicalist hypothesis, namely one that says that not only are physical and mental states identical, but um, this, uh, they're, they're, the identity relations are ones that produce harmony. And that was just one specific version of the, the very broad a posteriori physicalist hypothesis. Um, and so uh, one that would only get a little bit of the, the probability space going in. So actually theism predicts psychophysical harmony or at least makes it not super unlikely. A posteriori physicalism doesn't predict it because it says there are all these different epistemic possibilities. Um, one specific version of a posteriori physicalism does predict it, 
Um, but it's one that is, uh, you know, selected post hoc because it predicts it. Uh, it's one that the, the uh, prior probability of that was very low. Um, and so, um, you know, if you, if you build in, I mean, in Bayesian terms, if you build into your hypothesis, um, you know, something additional that was very, very unlikely uh, given what you already had in your hypothesis, then you can predict data, but you do that at the expense of the intrinsic probability of your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really, we say that's what the a posteriori physicalist is doing, just like that's what the person who says, oh, well, the fine tuning constants are necessary. So no problem about fine tuning. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the most difficult and technical part of the paper. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. So what you're trying to get at then, Dustin, is like, you're saying like, hey, like, let's just grant like physicalism is true. There's still a lot of like probability space where like maybe like even under physicalism, like the physical brain states causing the mental states. Um, why, why are they to cause like the, the states that we desire? Like they still like they still could be a bunch of different ways. Like these physical states um, could have caused like the opposite states or just like lukewarmness or just nothing or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what could have been means. Um, mm. the, the physicalist will say, in some sense, they couldn't really have been, um, but they're all still conceptual possibilities. They're all epistemic possibilities. And so yeah. when we're assigning probabilities, a lot of the physicalist probabilities should be spread out over those two. Whereas mm. the theist should have a lot of their probability on the harmonious state specifically because uh, God would have reason, specific reason to want to produce those. And so mm -hmm. when we find out that ah, this is where it landed, the, the theist has a lot of probability there. The probability was high of this on the theist hypothesis, or at least not super low. The physicalist had their probability spread out over all these different things that were epistemically possible. Um, so probability is not high for them. So theism gets a bump uh, because of Bayesian reasoning. Okay. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, Here's one question that I know has been brought up to you a lot, but it's interesting. Like, I could see a lot of people pushing this. Um, is the question of like, why couldn't evolution like explain psychophysical harmony? Um, so you could frame it like, hey, like obviously, like getting like say getting eaten is not desirable. Um, so of course we'd have like maybe like painful or like um, like mental states that are like, hey, like get out of harm's way. This isn't good. Um, so like you like, like flee away from like the predator or something like that. Um, you can see the opposite like a similar thing in favor of like pleasurable actions. Like the reason that we get pleasure from them is because they're good and they help you survive and reproduce and things like that. So why do you think like this kind of line of thought is going to fail at explaining psychophysical like harmony? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people bring that up. A lot of people think evolution somehow has something to do with this and uh, it doesn't, we don't think it, we don't think it helps at all. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, one way to think about it is, uh, I mean, on epiphenomenalism, it's obvious why it's not going to help. Um, on epiphenomenalism, uh, your it's are making no difference to your behavior at all. And so, of course, they're going to make no difference to evolution, right? If, if the psychophysical states had inverted pain and pleasure, your behavior would be exactly the same. Um, and so what, what, evolution is going to be selecting for is 
you know, the brain state that causes you to avoid the physical damage or whatever. But it's not going to matter if that brain state is associated with pain or pleasure or nothing or some neutral state or whatever. Um, what natural selection cares about is that you run away from the tiger. Uh, it doesn't care about what causally inert mental state is attached to it. Um, now, on views like interactionist dualism, um, assuming that pleasure causes pursuit behavior and assuming that pain causes avoidance behavior, it's true that natural selection will want to make sure that pleasure is associated with things that are fitness enhancing and pain is associated with things that are fitness reducing. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but there we have to go with This is when I said, we have to kick the problem back a step and ask why do our mental states have the causal effects that they do? Mm. Um, it doesn't seem metaphysically necessary that pleasure produce fitness enhancing behavior. Um, it seems like it could have, I mean, it seems perfectly conceivable that it could have any causal effect you like. Um, so, uh, given that, uh, our mental states have, so to speak, rationally appropriate causal effects, it's true that evolution will explain why we, uh, will explain psychophysical harmony. But then we have the question of why do our mental states have, uh, rationally appropriate causal effects? And evolution doesn't explain that because that is determined by, you know, the psychophysical laws or whatever, right? That's mm -hmm. determined by essentially laws of nature and evolution works within laws of nature. It doesn't change laws of nature or pick what the laws of nature are or anything like that. Um, and so we say evolution is not going to, I mean, it, it, again, it might, if say interactionist dualism is true, it might be part of the explanation for why the psychophysical harmony obtains, but it's not, uh, it, it's not the deep explanation because it doesn't explain why the psychophysical laws are set up in such a way that evolution will produce uh, psychophysical harmony. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to get at is, so like say someone like in the context of the fine tuning argument said that like, well, evolution just explains like where conscious life exists. Um, obviously that doesn't really address the fine tuning argument because the question is like, why are these laws in, in there in the first place? Like yeah. similarly, like with your argument, it's like saying, hey, like evolution, like that's not talking about like the actual like existence of these laws in the first place. It's not like it's not going to explain anything. It's not what the question you're trying to ask. Yeah, well, it, it does. Yeah. So it doesn't explain why there are any of these laws in the first place. It doesn't explain why we're not philosophical. So, yeah. I mean, if the psychophysical laws just said warm bathwater scenario every time, you know, evolution couldn't do anything about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, so in that sense, it doesn't explain it. It also doesn't explain in the case of say pain and pleasure. Um, if we imagine it doesn't explain why say their causal effects aren't switched around because that's a matter of the natural laws. If their causal effects had been switched around and when they occurred, uh, was switched around, then that would make no difference to evolution. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't explain, <clears throat> why there are any psychophysical laws. It doesn't explain why their form is diverse enough for us to have, you know, why they produce diverse enough uh, mental states for us to, for psychophysical harmony to obtain. And it doesn't explain if uh, 
our mental states have causal effects in the world if we're interactionists. It doesn't explain why the causal effects of our mental states, why like certain causal effects are hooked up to certain mental states in such a way that evolution will produce harmony. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we're thinking about psychophysical laws, like these aren't like they're similar to like laws and like fine tune, like we talk about like the laws of the universe that govern the universe. Um, like psychophysical laws are laws that govern how our mental states um, relate to our physical states. Is that what these things are? Yeah, something like that. I mean, the the thought is most people who are dualists will think, yeah, it, there's something like a law of nature that says when you're in such and such a brain state, you'll have such and such a mental state. And that's why anybody in that brain state is going to have the same mental state. Um, and, 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 uh, and the point is it's only if the psychophysical law, and maybe they also govern what happens when you're in a certain mental state that maybe they mm -hmm. also govern, uh, and when you are in uh, a pleasurable state that causes an effect in your brain that makes your, makes you behave in ways to try to continue the experience or something. Mm -hmm. Um. And so, um, yeah, the, the point is, if you're a dualist, you should think those laws are contingent. You should think they could have been otherwise because mental states and physical states are different things. They could have been correlated in different ways. Um, and it's only if those laws have the right form that evolution is going to produce psychophysical harmony. So it might very well be the case that in the actual world, evolution is, is part of the explanation of why psychophysical harmony obtains. But the reason that evolution produces harmony rather than disharmony is because the psychophysical laws are such as to ensure that it does so. And then you have to ask, why are the psychophysical laws such as to ensure that it does so? And that's where the theistic explanation is going to come in for us. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's helpful. So what if you were like an identity theorist, which I believe like they'd say like your brain states like are your mental states. Would they still have like to deal with the problem of psychophysical harmony or could they just say like um your sensations but that's just is your that's just is your brain state like there's nothing further well that so that that's going to be a version of the the physicalism that i was talking about mm -hmm. uh, so if they're uh if they're an a priori physicalist if they think your mental states are your brain states and you can just tell by thinking about it that that's true uh, and you can tell by thinking about it which state which mental states are are identical to which brain states these are like conceptual truths then that would solve the problem uh but that view is false um because uh you can conceive of different mental states being identical to different brain states and mm -hmm. that means that you can't tell just by thinking about it, which one it's really identical to. If you're an a posteriori physicalist, then you'll say, uh, I, an a posteriori identi identity theorist, then you'll say, okay, uh, the, uh, the, yeah, mental states are, each mental state is identical to some brain state, but uh you can't sort of know in advance uh just by thinking about it which one is identical to which one mm -hmm. and we say that means a posteriori physicalism itself 
does not predict psychophysical harmony. What it tells you is each mental state is identical to some brain state or other, but it doesn't tell you it's identical to uh, like a, har a harmony producing brain state. Mm -hmm. You don't know if pain is, you don't know in advance just from a posteriori physicalism, uh, whether uh, pain is identical to some brain state that causes avoidance behavior or not. Mm -hmm. um, it could be identical to some brain state that causes pursuit behavior. It could be identical to some brain state that doesn't do anything. It could be identical to some, you know, I mean, whatever. Um, and so a posteriori physicalism doesn't tell you on its own that psychophysical harmony is going to obtain. Mm -hmm. One very specific version of a posteriori physicalism does when it says, uh, yeah, mental states are identical to brain states and they're identical to ones that make that result in psychophysical harmony. Pain mm -hmm. is identical to the avoidance behavior producing brain state and pleasure and blah, blah, blah for all these, you know, the, the experience of the, the black rectangle is identical to the black rectangle verbal report producing brain state and so forth for all these different ones. <clears throat> and what we say is uh, that specific version, the probability of that specific version is super low just mm -hmm. on a posteriori physicalism because it's just one of a zillion different versions of a posteriori physicalism that you can all conceive of going in. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that specific version predicts the data, but it predicts it at the cost of, uh, at, at a proportionate hit to the, uh, the intrinsic probability of a posteriori physicalism. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, my theory is that I'm innocent, uh, I say. And then they say, well, wait a minute, we have this security footage of you shooting the guy. And I say, okay, here's my new theory. I'm innocent and that security footage exists. Um, okay, now my theory predicts that the security footage exists, right? Because it's part of my theory that the security footage exists. But I haven't gotten, I'm not going to get acquitted on that basis because now my theory predicts the evidence, but it's intrinsically super unlikely because uh, the theory that I, I uh, am innocent and the, and the security footage exists is intrinsically very improbable because if I was innocent, the security footage would probably not exist. Uh, the a posteriori physicalist, a posteriori physicalism itself does not predict harmony. It just says brain states are identical to some, some, uh, some mental state or other, but our mental states are identical to some brain state or other, but it doesn't itself tell us which ones. It says these are all these different things are conceptually open. A specific version does, but the probability of that very specific version is super low just on a posterior right physicalism. And so mm -hmm. you can build in to your physicalist theory, oh, and the harmony producing identity relations. Those are the real ones. Uh, and then you predict, you do predict psychophysical harmony, but you do it at a corresponding loss to the prior probability of your theory. Mm -hmm. um, whereas theism, we say, is able to predict uh, 
psychophysical harmony without building in some super specific, highly uh, unlikely bespoke element that's just to predict the data. Um, mm -hmm. So theism predicts it without a corresponding super big hit to prior probability. Mm -hmm. so that's people. People should probably just read the section of the paper if that didn't make sense. It is. A, it's a difficult point because it gets. I mean, it, it relies on a lot of technical machinery. It relies on this distinction between epistemic possibilities and metaphysical possibilities. It relies on knowledge of Bayes' theorem and how uh, intrinsic probability and prior probability work and what happens when you build new things into your theory and it blah, blah, blah. So it, it, there's a lot going on in that section of the paper. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, one, one of the referees at, at Oxford Studies and Philosophy of Religion was very confused by our argument there, too. But ultimately, we, we managed to, to satisfy everybody. Um, but <laughs> it, it is a very technical, a very technical bit. But. Mm. Well, this has been super helpful, Dustin. And like, I'm definitely not all the way there, but I'm, def I'm slowly like understanding this argument more and more. Um, as we close up here, like any like last thoughts or points you want to make before we wrap up here? Um. No, again, I would encourage people to try to read the paper because it is, um, there's a lot that goes on in the paper. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe it could be helpful for people to just sort of slowly go through each bit and you know, be able to go up, go at their own pace and see all the little, you know, there are a lot of little things we talk about and stuff. Um, so yeah, I would encourage people to read the paper and, um, I've done some other interviews about about this argument too that people can look up and yeah yeah well it's been awesome dustin thank you so much for joining me um how can people like follow you and connect with you and things like that uh so i have uh i have a twitter account um i which is just my name if you type it in uh, i have a youtube channel that i just recently started so i have some stuff up about so far, mostly ethics and political philosophy, um, but I'll I'll have uh, I'm going to host a debate between Graham Oppie and Kenny Pierce um, later this week, so people can can go and subscribe and uh, and uh, watch that. Um, I have a website, uh, just DustinCrummett.com. So any of those things, uh, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter. Um, that'll probably let people keep up about as much as they want. Well, thank you so much, Dustin, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Encourage people to follow you, connect with you, things like that. There'll be links down in the description. And yeah, that's it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you have a good one. If you have our content, um, be sure to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And you can become a patron if you want, patreon.com slash That's it for today. Have a good one, everyone, and God bless. We'll catch you next time.